0: Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah, with Dr. Daniel Kahnema
1: and Dr. Jacinta Hayes. Each episode, we'll be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies.
0: Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do, and the fascinating discoveries we make.
1: Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies.
0: Right, so today we have a very exciting special episode.
1: Ooh, welcome to our bonus episode!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, just this week, uh, on the 10th of April 2019, astronomers uh, released the first ever image of a black hole.
1: Can we just say that again?
0: Astronomers released the first ever image of a black hole. Ooh! (laughs) But wait, what, what, what? (laughs) Anyway, we'll try and break it down for you. So today we have two special guests... Uh, who will be talking to us a little bit about the Event Horizon Telescope and uh, black holes uh, and what this discovery means and what was uh, our involvement as South Africans and Africans.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I guess um, the first place to start is to talk about the telescope That did all of this. Uh, It's called the Event Horizon Telescope or EHT. And to understand what the EHT is, we first have to talk about another acronym, (laughs) VLBI, which stands for Very Long Baseline Interferometry. And what that means is it's like um, a normal radio telescope, a radio interferometer, where you have several different antenna, different dishes, and you connect the signal together uh you join it together on a correlator on a big computer and that produces a very uh high resolution image um so you can see very small details. Now, the details that we are trying to see when we're looking at uh, individual black holes are really small. So we're looking on uh, about 20 micro arc-second scales. And to give you an idea of how big that is, uh, a couple of comparisons I've seen in the news and on Twitter recently, if you were in Paris, you would be able to read the print on a newspaper in New York. And there was another one too. If you were in Brussels, you'd be able to see a mustard seed in Washington, D.C. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so this very long baseline interferometry um, combines these telescopes around the world. And in this particular case, the Event Horizon Telescope has combined the eight telescopes, uh, ranging from Hawaii, uh, South America, uh, Spain, um, and numerous other locations, to operate as a single telescope with the aperture of the size of the Earth. Uh, And by doing that, we can get this resolution uh, that Jacinta was talking about. Uh, And what that means is that if we look in a very particular wavelength, and that's what we've done here in about a millimetre wavelength, uh, we can actually observe the light around a black hole.
1: And this has never been done before, right?
0: No, so the, the, the technology required to do this, obviously, uh, firstly, you need the individual telescopes to exist and to operate. Uh, then you need to form this consortium and form a plan and, um, organize these operations and so that everybody can do an observation at the exact same time. Then you have to choose your target, try and observe it, hope the weather's good at eight different locations around the world. Uh, and then, uh, take an observation. Uh, do a very large amount of data reduction, and hope that what comes out of it is uh, what you kind of expect when you when you model the the light around a black hole.
1: Yeah, and the data was far too too much to send via the internet, so it actually had to go onto enormous hard disks and physically taken to the processing centers in I think it was uh, Boston and Bonn.
0: Yeah, so. Yeah, so shipping hard drives around on airplanes um, with this (laughs) (laughs) incredibly interesting data. Uh, Yeah, so the the observation uh, in particular that we're talking about now, this uh, black hole at the center of M87. uh, M87 is a a galaxy fairly near to us, 55 million light years away, so in our galactic neighborhood. And the black hole sitting at the center is 6.5 billion times the mass of our sun. So it's a very very big black hole.
1: Six point five.
0: Six point five billion.
1: Billion. That's pretty big.
0: (laughs) And it's a thousand times bigger than the 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 black hole at the centre of our galaxy, the Milky Way, which is also pretty big. (laughs) Um, So so it's a it's a very very big black hole, uh, and that was why it was one of the the targets, right? It was um, fairly nearby, a very very big black hole, so uh, we would expect a, a fairly large relatively large angle in the sky. And yeah, the astronomers with the EHT have basically combined forces to uh, make this observation and, and release this image.
1: Yeah and I guess uh so if you've heard our uh previous uh episode episode 4 we spoke to um a few radio astronomers about looking at galaxies that have supermassive black holes in them and what kind of uh intense energy processes can be uh released as a result of this uh now these supermassive black holes are, are not doing something as intense as that uh but there is stuff orbiting them gas and dust and orbiting orbiting close to this black hole creating a plasma heating up to enormous temperatures and uh glowing basically
0: yeah and then the the light that comes off this accretion disk so it's a disk of material which is slowly falling into the black hole the light that comes off this gets bent quite violently by the mass of that black hole. So space and time is heavily distorted by something of this mass, which means that the the light behaves in very predictable uh, with relativity but quite weird ways. Um, And that's uh, what we essentially have observed now is how this light has bent around this black hole uh, and been beamed towards us in this very neat little ring Uh, showing us uh, the matter residing around this black hole. In a very distant galaxy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure by now you've probably seen a picture of it. It's splashed all over the news. But if you haven't, it will be on our website. You can, you can have a look at that picture. And I think it looks like the eye of Sauron.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's been a a lot of, a lot of social media attention around it. um, (laughs) A lot of, a lot of memes and things popping up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've really been enjoying them.
0: (laughs) But um, to give us more of an idea of, of what went into this observation. Uh, we're now joined via Skype from Brussels uh, by Dr. Roger Dean, uh, who is a, an associate professor at the University of Pretoria in South Africa. And his team was involved in um, some of the background work of this observation.
1: Yeah, we'll just warn our listeners that this uh, conversation was via Skype because uh, Roger is in Brussels for the the big press conference and to make the announcement. So the quality of the recording isn't uh, super high, but uh, we know our listeners are all uh, very intelligent, switched on people, and I'm sure you'll all be able to um, fill in the blank words when, when it cuts out.
0: <laughs> That's a nice little game for you.
1: Yep. Hello, Roger. Can you hear us?
2: I can't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I'm in Brussels. Yeah. So uh, I hope this the... works out.
1: What are you doing in, in Brussels,
2: Roger? So I was really lucky to come to the announcement of the, event, the first imaging results of the Event Horizon Telescope yesterday um, for all the world to see. So I went to the European Commission where... One of six press conferences which was held and announced the first image of a black hole.
0: Yeah, it was uh, very, very exciting. Um, we were following uh, on social media and following the press conference live, uh, and I think there was a lot of excitement both in the, the scientific community as well as the public from this. Uh, I think everybody's social media feeds are, are full of images of <laughs> this, this the supermassive mm-hmm. black hole. Um, can we start with what exactly is the Event Horizon Telescope?
2: Sure. So the Event Horizon Telescope is what we call a very long baseline interferometer. Um, that's a mouthful, so I'll break it down. What we do is we have radio antennas spread on continental and indeed planet-sized uh, distances apart from one another. And then we bring those signals together um, and combine them with very, very high precision. So the EHT is a VLBI array, uses that same technique of synthesizing an Earth-sized telescope, but it's special from other Earth-sized, uh, other VLBI. So the wavelength of light that it observes, if you looked at two consecutive peaks, uh, the distance between those two peaks would be one millimeter. But to do this... It has the antennas on very, very high and dry sites. They need to be up on 5,000 metre volcanoes in Hawaii, down to the South Pole, where it's very, very dry. And the reason for that is the atmosphere basically absorbs these frequencies.
1: That's great. And and Roger, what did we actually detect? What did we look at with the EHT?
2: Well, uh, to summarise, a ring of fire. (laughs) (laughs) The great great word, Johnny Cash. Um, But... The image that was made was a was a complete ring, which is basically um, what we call the shadow of the black hole. You know, what we were seeing is light in the immediate vicinity of that boundary layer, which defines the point of no return when you enter the black hole and exit our universe. There's a sharp feature at this boundary point. So there is a point at which light disappears from the universe, if you will, um, or at least from our, our view of it, um, and that which does come to our telescope in our eyes. Um, And that is a sharp feature known as the black hole shaft.
1: And uh, which black hole did we look at?
2: So on cosmic scales, this is a fairly nearby giant, what we call elliptical, about 55 million light years away. And essentially at the center of this gargantuan galaxy lies a very, very massive black hole, 6.5 billion times the mass of us. And that was the image that we unveiled yesterday.
0: So, Roger, why why this galaxy? I mean, the I think most people would expect that the we would try and go for the supermassive black hole at the center of our own galaxy, the Milky Way. Why was this the first one?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, why those two targets are best candidates and our primary targets as the EHT consortium. The shadow size that I'm describing, that sharp feature, um, the ring of fire, scales with the mass of the black hole. But obviously, the more distant the black hole, the smaller it appears. So, if you compare the distance, those two targets would have the largest apparent size of their shadow on the sky. So that's why those are the two priorities. So, so both of these are predicted to have a shadow size about the same size. They are very different black holes. Though. They are a thousand times uh, so. Our Milky Way, uh, the nearby, the more nearby Milky Way uh, black hole is about a thousand times closer than their M87. Now. There's a bit of a complication to the observations of the black hole at the centre of our galaxy in that it's a thousand times less massive than the, the black hole the M87 that we revealed yesterday. So that means it's also a thousand times faster, uh, and by that, essentially, there is variability of the emission; it changes on timescales of minutes. That presents a challenge to our calibration techniques. So it was a lot, it was a lot easier for that reason, and then a second reason is that. We lie, in, we lie in that thin disk, um, and in that disk is a, there are a lot of free electrons which actually distort our, our view, even at these high frequencies. So it could, uh, th- that, that process could actually erase the signature as well. So it's a much faster black hole, if you will, at the center of our galaxy, and we have this added c- complication of living in the galaxy, which, which, which make it a, a, hard, a harder target. Um, But we've set our sights on that, and data processing is happening as we speak.
0: So last year with the Meerkat telescope, we observed the the center of our Milky Way, and that was in a slightly different wavelength. Uh, How is this different, and I mean, how are those related?
2: Yeah, Um, also a great question. So the beautiful image that was unveiled by Meerkat at the inauguration last year basically shows very energetic phenomena in the galactic center, in, in that region, um, the EHT observes that wavelengths of light, as I said, that are one millimeter apart between two, two consecutive peaks, uh, which is about a factor of hundreds smaller than the MeerKAT image that you saw um, last year. So it is essentially of one of the pixels right at the center of that image. But there's another factor at play. Um, even if you have the sharpness of view to see the actual hot plasma. That lies at the center of our galaxy it would be opaque to meerkat so you really have to go to these high frequencies to be able to actually peer through the, the gas as much to be able to see this
0: so in terms of coordinating between eight telescopes uh, across many continents around the world uh, how do you guys arrange for such an observation i mean do you have to wait for a particular date and time
2: yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting mode of, of operation. So, firstly, you have to coordinate that you get a block booking, if you will, of all these independent observatories, which includes something like Ulna, which is of the most valued time in the millimeter astronomy. And the way, the, the, the way it works is basically every year's campaign gets five nights of observing, but it's awarded in a two-week window. And because we're so critically dependent on good weather on most of the sites – we have an EHT team at every single one of these sites, including the South Pole. And there is a go, no-go decision um, at the start of every new day based on weather predictions that we have from purpose-built software that we use, which incidentally actually goes into our simulations for later on. So it's five nights carefully coordinated, but only decided on the day uh, in a two-week period Around mar- uh, late March, early April of every year.
0: So we're going to have to wait for another year before another attempt can be made, say at the the, the Sagittarius A star.
2: Well, uh, not quite, because we have data in the can. Um, because the Event Horizon Telescope Consortium had to basically create new techniques for uh, a. The actual calibration imaging, and then be the, the the analysis because it's all new. It's it's been a a feverish period of activity within the consortium to 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 get this all right. But things will become a, a bit easier now that all this work's been done, um, and data will come uh, and results will be announced more frequently. But essentially, we still have twenty seventeen data from Sajay Star. Yesterday's results on M87 were from 20, the 2017 run as well. We then have 2018 data um, on both those targets as well. So you you might not have to wait as long as a year. Wonderful.
1: <laughs> what was your involvement in the this discovery and uh, you and your team in, at the University of Pretoria?
2: Right. Um, so the University of Pretoria's role was to create a highly realistic simulation of this earth-sized array. Um, we did this because we we want to understand its limits. Uh, we want to understand the, the extent to which we can actually infer the presence of black hole shadows in the data. This folds in all the complexities and uh, imperfections and corruptions that might come from uh, the engineering of the instrument, um, the synchronization of the different data streams and of course the weather that's present above each site which can erase the signature of a black hole shadow entirely.
0: So just to explain to the listeners the, this simulation you're basically putting in uh, test information for all of these situations and then seeing how the telescope should respond given those conditions.
2: Yes, because because a, a radio interferometer, the, the, this instrument where you know we combine the signals from independent antennas, just like the way that MeerKAT works, is you know it's not a point-and-shoot digital camera. Um, there is a, a quite a complex process of, of conver- combining uh, converting voltages into actual images. Um, especially so when you've got antennas spread across the earth, it exacerbates the uh, the problem uh, quite a bit. But essentially, we can take um, what uh, a prediction of what the shadow might look like, and then pass it through in a way that it would mimic the real data. And we can understand the effects of the uh, from 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 the photons hitting the antenna through to the final data analysis. We can understand how our instrumental imperfections and weather are are actually impacting those signals.
0: So there's, there was a lot of excitement and, and talk uh, when the movie Interstellar came out about that simulation of what we should see what a black hole should look like. Um, and, and that was, at the time, touted to be one of the most accurate simulations. Uh, that, that information, I mean, is, is that useful to you? Are you using those sorts of simulations to feed into your things?
2: Um, no, the, the Black Hole, uh, sorry, the, the Event Horizon Telescope Consortium has developed, uh, I think, was definitely the largest suite of black hole simulations. That's that's not my part of the work. That is, you know, theory and and, and general relativity. Um, people working very carefully and figuring out how light behaves in different space times and how the thermodynamics of the gas um, behaves. But the Event Horizon Telescope Developed its own uh, huge suite of these, um, perhaps not as quite high resolution as the single black hole uh, in, in in Interstellar, but the purpose here was to actually understand the physics. And uh, what you what you might remember was that in the Interstellar black hole, Christopher Nolan decided that there was a certain observational characteristic of the black hole shadow that might be too too much for the public to. To um, grasp. And that was the fact that the light travels um, obviously quite close to the speed of light in the immediate vicinity of the shadow. So on one side of the shadow, it's actually brightened. And on the other shadow, it's slightly dimmed. Uh, Christopher Nolan removed that aspect of the, the simulation. Um, he made an executive decision. But in the real image that was unveiled yesterday, you can actually see a difference in the brightness of the ring on one side versus other if if you have the image in front of you you'll see the bottom is a lot brighter compared to the top and that is reflective uh, we have argued of this um, uh, gas that is uh, uh, orbiting the black hole at very very high uh, velocity quite close to the speed of light uh, or at least comparable to the speed of light and therefore there is this dimming and brightening effect
0: so basically the the black hole and all of the matter around it is spinning very, very rapidly um, on, you know, in the sort of top to bottom axis as we look at the picture.
2: Well, we know that we know the plasma is spinning um, fairly, very, fairly rapidly. We, we don't know for sure about the spin of the black hole, but we could put some constraints on the spin of the black hole. To to first order, you know, the, the dominant effect is actually the mass of the black hole about a 10% effect is um, the the spin of the black hole so as we improve the image we'll be able to make better constraints on this, on, on how fast the black hole is actually spinning but we can use independent information on, um, on that spin and we think this is a fairly highly spinning black hole which is consistent with expectations
1: uh, Well thanks very much for speaking with us Roger we'll let you go because we know you're extremely busy and everyone's trying to clamor for an interview with you so um, enjoy Brussels and uh, thanks again
2: yeah, I hope you get some rest and also a bit of a celebration. Thanks very much, guys. Great to talk to you, and yeah, love your work. Keep keep going on.
1: Okay, so that was really exciting. Uh, I'm really glad Roger managed to find some time to talk with us. He's been extremely busy, as you can probably imagine. Um, yeah, I guess so much of that was really exciting. Uh, I really liked also hearing about Interstellar and the simulations um, and how it's related to black holes and the work that they're doing. Uh, I think it's a cool little fact that the simulations in Interstellar were made by a real astrophysicist, uh, Kip Thorne and and his research team and and Kip Thorne later went on to win the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2017 on uh, something different, uh, the discovery of gravitational waves, but also something else that proves uh, Einstein's theories.
0: Yeah. So not just any, uh, physicist doing these uh, calculations, <laughs> <laughs> a Nobel Prize winning yeah. one. Um, so I think we can trust the, uh, the simulations in Interstellar uh, <laughs> with, with some artistic license, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> taken by Christopher Nolan. Uh, so what next for the, the EHT? It was very exciting to hear Roger say that they have data in the bag, uh, for Sagittarius A star, which is the, black hole at the center of our Milky Way. Uh, because while it's a lot smaller than this black black hole we've just observed, it's much nearer, so we may see something quite different uh moves across the sky very quickly, so it's it's a it's a completely different challenge to try and to try and observe uh yeah it's uh
1: it's a thousand times smaller, faster, and closer than the black hole in m eighty seven but uh I've heard it uh also referred to as like like taking a picture of a small toddler that's racing around the house for eight hours <laughs> <laughs> quite hard to capture
0: yeah and in order to do that, the the H isn't going to be resting on its laurels. They're in the process of incorporating other telescopes into the network so that they can improve their resolution. And there are currently plans afoot to build one of these stations on the African continent in Namibia. And uh, fortunately, uh, we recently spoke to Dr. Roger G. Evans, uh, who was in Cape Town for the formation of the African Astronomical Society. And he spoke to, to Jacinta about this, these plans and, and the incorporation of a telescope in Namibia into the EHT in the future.
1: Yeah, I just happened to speak to Rodri a couple of weeks ago and this was of course before the announcement, but it was, it was well timed. Uh, obviously we, we didn't yet know what was about to be announced. Um, but I think it's super relevant because, um, if we can get this, this telescope in Namibia, then that's going to dramatically improve the, um, angular resolution of the EHT and maybe give us a better shot at, uh, looking at Sagittarius A star and, uh, also exciting that some of the, Data is already in the bag. You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's hear from Rodri. Hi, we're chatting to Rodri Evans, uh, who works at the University of Namibia. Welcome, Rodri.
3: Thank you very much.
1: Can you tell us who you are?
3: Yes, my name is Rodri Evans. I'm originally from Wales. Um, I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Namibia based on the main campus in Windhoek. And prior to moving to Namibia, I was working at Cardiff University. And prior to that, spent nine years working in the United States. So uh, sort of typical academic. I've worked in lots of different places. I'm hoping Namibia will be my last uh, stop, although you, you, you never know.
1: How do you find living in Namibia? What's it like?
3: It's uh, well, I couldn't have picked a country that's more different from Wales. It's a it's a very dry desert like climate in Namibia, and that's actually why the the project that I'm working on will will be based there. Um, but I but I find it fascinating because it's so different to what I'm used to. And um, one of the other things I like about the country is. Um, There's only 2 million people who live in the country, even though it's more than three times larger than the UK, which has 65 million people. So I I enjoy the the (laughs) lack of people and (laughs) the the wide open spaces.
1: Great. And now you're working on something called the AMT, the Africa Millimetre Telescope. Can you tell us more about what that project is?
3: Yes, correct. So um, because Namibia is such a dry country, it's actually ideal for... Uh, doing a, a type of astronomy called millimeter wave astronomy. So millimeter wave astronomy, as the name implies, uses um, electromagnetic waves, which have a wavelength of, of about a millimeter. And that kind of radiation um, gets absorbed by water vapor. So you can only do it in in very dry places. So for example, in Europe, it's only really in southern Spain that you can do millimeter wave astronomy. And Namibia is the the driest country in sub-Saharan Africa. And we have a a mountain called Mount Gamsberg, which is um, about three hours southwest of the capital Windhoek, which uh, is at an altitude of uh, just under 2,400 meters and is extremely dry. Um, So the plan is to put this millimeter wave telescope uh, on Mount Gamsberg, and when it's there, it'll be Africa's first millimeter wave telescope. So the opportunity to be involved in something that was going to be the first on the continent is is what attracted me to, to Namibia.
1: That's really fantastic, Um, really exciting for Namibia and for Africa. So, um, what will this telescope do?
3: Well, the telescope will do lots of things, but the main science that it's been sold on is to be part of something called the Event Horizon Telescope. And this is a network of telescopes that uh, are attempting to image the black hole at the centre of our Milky Way galaxy. So we, we now know that there is a black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy. The evidence is, is overwhelming. But as some of the listeners may know, you can't actually see a black hole directly, um, by the very nature that not even light can escape. But what you can do is see the environment around the black hole where the material is, is falling into the black hole. And the, the, the point of sort of no return for a black hole where once the material crosses it, you'll, you'll never see anything from, from that material is called the event horizon. And if you calculate the size of the event horizon for the the black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy, it has a tiny, tiny it subtends a tiny, tiny angle on the sky. It's 10 millionths of an arc second. And there are 3,600 arcseconds in one degree, and as people know, 360 degrees in a circle. So it's an absolutely minuscule angle.
1: Absolutely tiny. And
3: the only way that we currently have to observe such a tiny angle is to link up telescopes in different parts of the world, a process which we call very long baseline interferometry. And although that's been done at radio wavelengths for, for decades, Actually, if you were to use radio wavelengths, the Earth isn't big enough to be able to image such a small angle. But millimeter waves are at that sweet spot where you can do VLBI. But it's short enough that the Earth is a big enough baseline. So um, we'll be joining part of an already existing network called the Event Horizon Telescope. Um, the other telescopes are in places like Chile, North America, Hawaii, Greenland, Mexico. Um, and, uh, but the um, South Pole, there's one at the South Pole as well. Uh, but there's nothing in Africa and actually having a telescope in Af- Africa will help improve the images that we can obtain with this network of telescopes. So that's the plan to, to put this, uh, telescope, uh, 15 meter, uh, dish on Mount Gamsberg in Namibia.
1: Right, so you're putting a telescope on a flat mountaintop in, in Namibia and it's going to be connected with other telescopes all around the world and the goal of that is to image the event horizon of a black hole.
3: Exactly. So, so the, um, the imaging campaigns, uh, which uh, there was one in 2017, for example, another one uh, last year, um, they happen in March and April because, um, as I mentioned earlier, you need extremely dry conditions to, to do millimeter wave astronomy. And for example, the dry season in places like, um, the desert southwest of the United States and Mexico is in the March, April time of the year. So that's when the observing campaigns happen. So we will join that network when our telescope is ready in hopefully 2021 or 2022. And, um, as I say, because of the position of our telescope and the fact that it'll be able to link up and see, um, observe the same object simultaneously with telescopes in the Western Hemisphere, um, we will improve the, the the resolution of the images that the, the network of telescopes are, are able to get.
1: That's amazing. So can you tell me more about the, this project to, to image the event horizon? I've heard it described before as imaging the shadow of a black hole. Is that the same project?
3: Yes, exactly. So, so as I mentioned earlier, you can define the event horizon as the point of no return. Once, once an object crosses that, um, you won't see any radiation coming from it. So in effect, we're observing that the shadow of the black hole, the material that is just outside of the event horizon that is swirling into, into the black hole and, um, Given the, the mass of our black hole, um, at the center of the Milky Way galaxy, which is about four million times the mass of our sun, uh, you can work out just from basic physics what size that would mean. And then given our distance from the center of Milky Way, you can work out that it would subtend an angle of 10 millionths of an arc second, 10 micro arc seconds.
1: Amazing. Roughly. So what do we expect it to look like?
3: That's yeah. a very good question. Um, actually, my understanding, um, is that, uh, the movie interstellar um had a lot of good simulations of what light around a black hole looks like um
1: it did i remember yeah. that movie
3: so, so um probably the best thing is 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 for <laughs> listeners to 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 rent interstellar and have a look at the kind of effects that light um that a black hole has on on light but, but basically we're expecting to 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 see a sort of curve of of light as light is is distorted by the gravitational effects of the um of the black hole so einstein um, showed back in the um, early 1900s that gravity will actually bend light. So the the light that we'll get from the vicinity of the black hole will be highly distorted by the the gravitational effects of the black hole, where of course the gravitational field is is extremely strong. Um, but simulations show um, that uh, by adding the the AMT to the network of telescopes, we will significantly improve the image that uh, that we see so we'll be part of a not quite worldwide network a sort of Western hemisphere network of, of telescopes trying to trying to observe this um, this fascinating object at the center of our galaxy
1: yeah really amazing so this is in our galaxy inside the Milky Way and you said that there's uh, some stuff falling into it and um, that's what we're trying to mm-hmm. see um, are we in any danger from this black hole?
3: We're not in any danger from, from this black hole. And interestingly, it's a it's a question I ask my students. If we were to replace our sun by a, a black hole with the same mass as our sun, how would it affect the, the Earth? And, and the answer is it wouldn't. Apart from the fact that we wouldn't have a, the heat and the light coming from the sun, our orbit would remain exactly the same. So you actually have to be very close to a, a black hole to be... Affected by it and to be sucked into it to sort of use the 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 popular idea. So it's only material right towards the centre of our Milky Way galaxy which has been sucked into the into the into the black hole. And certainly the orbit of our sun is is completely unaffected by the fact that it's a a black hole rather than four million stellar um, stellar objects. The, the the mass of the sun that's at the centre.
1: And how did it get to be so huge? How did it get to be the the mass of four million suns?
3: We don't know the answer to that question. So, so the evidence that we have a black hole at the centre of the Milky Way galaxy, there was a, a very compact object first observed in 1974, and then by the 1980s, a couple of. Um, teams one in the um in the united states at ucla university of california los angeles and the other team based in germany at one of the max Planck institutes they've been studying the motions of of stars for more than 30 years now and, and so that's how we know that the, the central object has this mass of about four million times the mass of the sun is you know it's pretty well determined by the by the two teams independently what we don't know is how the supermassive black hole formed And in the last 15 or so years, the Hubble Space Telescope has discovered that every galaxy that we look at has a supermassive black hole at its center, not just our Milky Way galaxy, but every galaxy. And intriguingly, it seems that the total mass of a galaxy is related quite um, closely to the, the mass of the central black hole. There's a correlation between them, and that we do not understand either. So it seems that supermassive black holes play a central role in the formation of galaxies, but quite what that role is, is, is not something we, we know the answer to yet. But um, certainly being able to essentially directly image the black hole for the first time is, you know, is, is quite an important bit of uh, a step in understanding the role of these black holes in our galaxy's evolution and hopefully in the evolution of all, all galaxies. So
1: that's some amazing science. Is the uh, AMT going to do any other types of science?
3: Yeah, so because the um, observing campaign of the Event Horizon Telescope is only in the March-April, that, of course, leaves most of the year when it's not going to be doing that particular project. So one of the things that uh, makes the, the project so interesting to me is that we will have, you know, essentially 10 months of the year when we can do other science with the with the, uh, with the telescope. So, for example, we're hoping to, to do a, a survey of the Southern sky at millimeter wavelengths, which really hasn't been done since the uh, the telescope that we're going to use uh, was decommissioned. So we're actually going to use an already existing telescope. It's called the Swedish ESO Submillimeter Telescope CEST. It was um, it went into operation in 1987 and then was decommissioned in 2003. So really, since 2003, there hasn't been uh, a telescope doing large scale surveys of the of the southern skies um and of course technology has moved on since then in terms of um detector technology receiver technology so we we're, so we're planning to to do various observing campaigns including a large scale survey of the of the s- southern skies um a survey of the the milky way galaxy looking at in particular the astrochemistry of the milky way the various combinations of different um molecules and, and elements in the in the milky way galaxy um and looking at active galactic nuclei so these are other signatures of black holes in, in, in other galaxies. When we look at some galaxies, we see that the, the nucleus of the galaxies is particularly active. And that's due to the effects of the, the central black hole. So we're planning to observe some of these active galactic nuclei beyond our own Milky Way galaxy as well. So there's, there's lots of science that we'll be able to fill the, the rest of the year with. Now, uh, the driest times of the year are June, July, August. So that's when we'd expect to get the best data. But that doesn't mean we can't be making observations at other times of the year. It's just that we will be more limited in the sensitivity at other times of the year because the, the atmosphere isn't quite as, as dry as in the um, May, June, July, August period.
1: Great. And you you mentioned that the actual telescope that's going on the top of Mount Gamsberg is CEST, the Swedish ESO oh, no. millimetre telescope. Now, I think you said that's currently in Chile.
3: Right so the telescope was was put at uh, La Silla in in Chile um back in 1987 it was operated for some 16 years and then decommissioned in 2003 so it's still sitting there in Chile and uh, we will dismantle it take it down bit by bit uh ship it initially actually to France to have some repairs because as it's been sitting idle for the last 16 years there are a couple of um, panels that are that are slightly rusted need, need need repair but actually very very little in a way. We've done a thorough test of the telescope, and everything is fine apart from just needing to replace a couple of the panels. And then, uh, once it's been repaired in France, we will ship it down to Namibia and um, start taking it up the the mountain. Now, the, the 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 mountain, as I mentioned earlier, is at an altitude of nearly two thousand four hundred meters, and it sits about six hundred meters higher than the surrounding plain. And the road up to the the, the, top of the mountain is extremely precarious. So we're going to have to improve that road. There's no way we can take the parts of the telescope up to the top of the mountain without improving the road. Um, so that's part of the project will be in improving the road, but it's, um, the, the top of the mountain. It's, it's often referred to as Namibia's table mountain. It has a completely flat top, um, uh, about 600 meters by maybe 200 meters. So there's lots of room on the top for other telescopes as well. It's, it's an almost undeveloped, site at the moment, even though way back in the 1960s, the European Southern Observatory considered it uh, as a place to put the telescopes that ultimately went to to Chile. And it was reconsidered again in the 90s uh, when ESO was trying to negotiate, I guess, the site for what became the Very Large Telescope, which was put in a different place in Chile. And maybe as part of the negotiations, they did another site test of Mount Gamsburg just to show that Mount Gamsburg was just as good. And, and all the tests that have been done on how good an observing site Mount Gamsburg is, have shown that it's just as good as Chile. So, you know, my hope is beyond the AMT that Mount Gamsburg can become a, another site in the Southern Hemisphere for, for telescopes. At the moment, there's there's nothing on the top apart from a German amateur telescope. But in 20, 30 years' time, it could be a major observatory like Mauna um, Kea or some of the sites in, in Chile.
1: Wow, that's incredible. So, I mean, it's, it's great that this, that we're recycling this telescope, that it gets a whole new life to do something brand new and that, you know, mother nature has given us this big mountain that's got a completely flat Top yep. and I, you showed me a picture of that earlier and it's, it's incredibly, unbelievably flat at the top of this. And we're going to use it to look at the supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way.
3: Absolutely. That's Absolutely. an
1: incredible story.
3: Yeah. And, and Namibia, because of its extremely dry climate and very low population density has the potential to be one of the major observing places in in the world and for various reasons it hasn't developed in the last 30 40 years to to be um, competing with Chile and and Hawaii as as examples but there's no reason why that can't happen in, in in the future. It's just a, a question of developing the infrastructure for the mountain and getting the government on our side for them to see the potential for Namibia of having these these telescopes in the country. You know, rather than looking upon it as a as a negative thing, which you know initially most people do. Ch- Change is always uh, a bit scary to get them to realize the the huge potential, not not just in terms of revenue, but in terms of jobs for for, for local people. I was just chatting in the last couple of weeks to someone who graduated in physics from the University of Namibia and she's currently teaching and she said well outside of teaching there aren't any jobs for physics in Namibia which although it's not strictly true is, is truer than it should be and by developing these kinds of facilities there, there will be far more job opportunities for people trained in, in um, STEM subjects than there currently is.
1: Wonderful. Um, Well, I mean, we're all we're all wishing you well. We're all cheering for you in Namibia and for the AMT. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to talk about today?
3: Well, just the fact that you know I'm 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 here for a couple of days in in Cape Town, um, seeing all the different projects that are going on in in Africa and astronomy, and it really is quite inspiring. Because as someone who up until two years ago had only ever worked in Europe and North America, it's just great for me to see that there is. a lot going on in Africa in astronomy, and, and, and certainly Africa needs to do a better job of advertising what it's doing to, to, to the rest of the world. Um, but th- this meeting and the beginning of the Africa Astronomy Society will, you know, it's, it's a start of putting Africa on the, on the world map as far as astronomy is concerned, which it certainly has the, the potential to, you know, to be as big a contributor to world astronomy as, as some of the other better known continents.
1: And hopefully this podcast will help as well.
3: Yes, let's hope so, yes.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for speaking with us today, Rodri.
3: You're welcome. Thank you very much.
1: Well, it's been a big 24 hours for all of us at the time of recording.
0: Yeah, it's 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 been very exciting. Uh, these astronomical discoveries seem to happen more and more these days. Um, you know not a month goes by it feels like when something major for the first time gets announced or released <laughs>
1: or at least not a year until something really major
0: yeah, gets I, announced it's uh it's very exciting exciting times to to live in and exciting times to be involved in astronomy and astrophysics and great to hear how uh africa is getting involved in in some of these Project, I think that the incorporation of a, a telescope in Namibia will greatly improve the resolution of this uh, telescope, the EHT, because at the moment there's there's nothing on the African continent, and it's a a, a big um, empty patch in in terms of the footprint of that telescope.
1: Yeah, and as uh, Rodri said, Namibia is perfect because it's it's really dry, and you need very dry atmosphere in order to do these particular observations. And it also has currently a low population density, um, which makes it, again, perfect for these kind of observations. So hopefully Mount Gamsburg it is.
0: Yeah, and then hopefully we'll be involved in uh, improvements in these observations and maybe future observations of other black holes and other galaxies.
1: Yeah, exactly. I wonder what else we can find, what else we can look at.
0: I mean, that's that's the astronomer's motto, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, make a big discovery. What else can what we next? find? What <laughs> next? The very next day. <laughs> what now? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, a very exciting, special episode. Thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you learned a thing or two. Uh, and please join us again soon.
1: As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website, Uh, And that's where we'll have links related to today's episode.
0: Yeah. Special thanks today to Associate Professor Roger Dean for joining us via SCARP from Brussels and Dr. Rodri Evans.
1: Thanks to Mark Olnut for music production, Yanis Brink for the astrophotography and Lana Serai for graphic design used to create the podcast art.
0: The Cosmic Savannah was created with the support of the South African National Research Foundation and the South African Astronomical Observatory.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, tell a friend and help us by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leaving us a review.
0: And we'll speak to you next time on the Cosmic Savannah.